If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. The harsh effects of illegal mining are beginning to bite hard as the Public Utilities Regulatory Commission imposes a one-city tariff on every utility bill to enable the Ghana Water Company treat water polluted by Galamse activities. Now, we will engage the Ghana Water Company, which warns Ghana risks importing water in the next five years if the activities of illegal mining are not nipped in the bud. Also this afternoon, leadership of the coalition of aggrieved customers of Men's Gold Ghana uh, have been invited by the Economic and Organized Crime Office after they petitioned the outfit to arrest the CEO of Men's Gold, Nana Apia Mensa, for allegedly from already impoverished members on the pretext of validating their accounts for payment of their locked-up investments. Stay for the details and the outcome of that meeting. Oh, a police vehicle believed to be attached to the Hohoi District Command in the Volta region has been uh, torched in Guigodenu in the early hours of today after the vehicle allegedly knocked down a motorbike rider suspected to be carrying weed. We're live in the region for those details. That's right, that and more today on The Pulse. It's a pleasure to bring it to you. My name is Kujo Yangson. Good afternoon. Okay, let's get started. Uh, the Coalition of Aggrieved Customers of Men's Gold Ghana has petitioned the Economic and Organized Crime Office, EOCO, to arrest the CEO of Men's Gold, Nana Apia Mensa, for allegedly extorting money from already impoverished members. Now, the customers say that they have received messages from the company instructing them to pay certain amounts to validate their accounts in order to receive payments of their locked-up investments. Uh, today, Ioko has invited leadership of the Coalition of Aggrieved Customers of Men's Gold for a meeting. Uh, we're going to bring you details of the outcomes of that meeting. Uh, first, though, data analyst with our research desk, Kofi Ajay, uh, runs us through um, a background of this Men's Gold saga. Kofi, it's good to see you. 
Well, now let's look at the men's gold saga. This is why it is so big. As of 2018, when this saga actually broke, we're looking at somewhere around 1.68 billion Ghana CDs involved with about 16,000, you know, investors, if I should put it that way, who had their monies locked up in this investment scheme. Currently, if you should value this in dollar terms, we are looking at somewhere around $170 million. Then it could be around $200 million that we are talking about. Now, if you look at the next slide, this was the statement that Men's Good actually issued on the July 30th, calling all clients to submit, you know, supporting documents for validation. Now, this has become so crucial in this instance, validation. What does it mean in this men's gold saga? You read a statement saying that some members say they've re- received messages and men's gold asking them to pay some amounts before they can validate their account. Now, there was an assessment done by men's gold, and this was the outcome. Let's look at it. So according to men's gold, all those who submitted claims or supporting documents for validation, about 60% of these claims submitted to men's gold were deemed as defects. You know, they had some sort of defect in terms of the information or supporting document that they submitted to Men's Gold for validation. So what, 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 what does this really mean? If, you, if your, you know, supportive document actually went through or your validation went through, the Men's Gold has an information for you. I'm reading the statement that was issued by Men's Gold. It says that transaction status verification. And Kojo, point one says... These are the people who could not go through the system. People who had irregularities or inconsistencies of the records on the face of the document. Now, those who had fake supporting documents were deemed as, you know, customers with uh, not valid supporting documents. Fake authorized signatures or unofficial transaction endorsement stamps. Transaction that has been exhausted 12-month cycle. And then false claims, illegitimate claims and all of that. Among the day, about 10 of them. But I want to take you to the task screen again. It says that July 10 called on a client to submit a supporting document. We've already spoken about that. But with this men's gold, if your claim actually went through, what does it mean? Men's gold is saying that all valid transactions are assigned a full debt settlement, you know, a defined date, clearly indicating they are eligible reported to be honored via a direct bank wire, you know, transfer, a copy of the SWIFT advice which shall be filed at court of law. Now, this is very interesting. Men's Gold is saying that they have some sort of challenge. They can't go around establishing, you know, um, uh, centers across the country. And so they are going to use an online or digital means to, you know, verify the claim, the payment and all of those things. So, if you are part of the 40% that your payment or your validation or your documents went through, Men's Gold is saying they are assuring you that you're going to have your payment. But 60% of you who, you know, sent your supporting document, Men's Gold has a very simple message for you. They say that, you know, the documents you submitted were not fit for purpose. They had a lot of false claims in there, and so they cannot go ahead uh, with the processing of the document. Good job. Right. So, well, uh, we do have some information coming in from the Attorney General's office. Uh, We understand that the Attorney General has filed um, charges against um, 
Nana Apia Mensa, known popularly as Nam One. Um, and the court has fixed a hearing uh, for the 19th of September. Um, we have the details of the charges here. Um, and uh, I'm reading uh, directly from um, the charge sheet. It says, count one, selling gold contrary to section 99.1 of the Minerals and Mining Act 2006, which is uh, Act 703. Um, and uh, the particulars of the offense are that Nana Apia Mensa and uh, Brew Marketing Consult Limited, uh, who are the, uh, the, the third um, accused, if you will. So the first accused is Nana Apia Mensa, the second is Men's Gold Ghana, and the third is Brew Marketing Consult Ghana Limited. So it says here, Nana Apia Mensa and Brew Marketing Consult Limited between 2017 and 2019 in Accra, in the greater Accra region of the Republic of Ghana, sold gold to members of the public without a license. Count two is operating a deposit-taking business without a license, uh, contrary to sections 6.1 and 22.1 uh, of the Banks and Specialized Deposit-Taking Institutions Act 2016. That's Act 930. Again, the details follow. Uh, count three, uh, inducement to invest contrary to section 344 of the Companies Act 2019, which is Act 992. And again, the details are there uh, that he induced members of the public to invest one billion six hundred and eighty million nine hundred and twenty thousand Ghana cities. And that's one billion six hundred eighty million nine hundred twenty thousand Ghana cities in Men's Gold Ghana Company Limited by gold deposits in return for profits. Uh, and um, this statement, according to the Attorney General, was misleading. Uh, the fourth count is defrauding by false pretense, contrary to Section 1311 of the Criminal Offences Act 1960, Act 29. And here again, uh, Nana Pia Mensa and Men's Gold Ghana, between 2016 and 2018, are accused of doing exactly this. By representing Men's Gold as a company licensed to take gold deposit in return for profit, on the value of the gold deposit, which, uh, they, according to the Attorney General, they knew to be false at the time of making this claim. The fifth count is defrauding by false pretense, contrary to Section uh, uh, 1311 of the Criminal Offences Act 1960, Act 29. And again, uh, Nana and Brew Marketing are accused of um, uh, intending to defraud obtaining the consent of Angelina van der Palen to part with a sum of 20,060 Ghana cities by representing Brew Marketing Consult as a company licensed to sell gold deposit. So there is a specific uh, person here who is um, uh, the complainant, if you will. Count six, defrauding by false pretense again, and this time around the person is Beatrice Ousuansa. Uh, then there is... Um, uh, another count of defrauding by false pretenses. Uh, this one pertains to the same Beatrice Ousu answer. Um, and there are several others. George Ousu uh, in count eight. Uh, and um, uh, count nine also pertains to George Ousu. Um, and then there is uh, Benjamin Eduse Poku um, and Emmanuel Boache. Uh, in fact, the list is quite long. Eunice Quarte. Uh, and several others uh, who we will be, details of which we will be sharing as the day unfolds.
Now, convener of the Coalition of Aggrieved Men's Gold Customers, Fred Forson, uh, joins us here in the studio. Uh, he has a little bit more following uh, a meeting that was uh, called by Yoku, uh, which uh, I suspect Fred and some colleagues attended. Fred, it's good to have you. Yes, yes, thank you very much. Right then. So let's start with um, the latest. The Attorney General has um, charged NAM1 several counts, uh, including defrauding by false pretenses, um, uh, receiving deposits without a license, uh, trading uh, without a license, and so forth. Your reaction to this? Well, I think it's, it's, a, good, it's, it's, it's a piece of good news, and um, at least customers will be relieved, and we, we, we had waited for this action for the past three, four years. And now that the AG has come to the fore, I think it's good. Uh, customers will be relieved. If for nothing at all, the, not vengeance, but at least we know that you can't just... Even look at what is happening for the past two weeks. We have been complaining severally. Yesterday, I had to put on social media that if by close of day the gentleman is not arrested, we shall march to the military high command. So with this action, at, the, at least it will calm nerves because what is happening is very bad. It looks as if Namwan is the owner of Ghana to the extent that he put out information, daylight robbery, demanding extorting money from people. We have made several complaints, petitioned the IGP, and it appears there's no action. Well, just before I walk into the studio, I just checked on his Twitter, and he said, in everything, thank God. So I, then I suspected that maybe something is happening. Just go and check. So at least we will have some, I believe that this is a journey to come to the finality in respect of the criminal aspect. Mm. Even though, as customers, the ultimate goal is to retrieve our money. And our focus is on the state, because... Yes, these are the criminal aspects. The state also cannot exonerate itself in this matter. Could you? And this is a typical example that the state always reneges on its responsibility. For two weeks, we haven't heard from SEC. We haven't heard from Bank of Ghana. The gentleman is extorting money from the public. No statement. So even yesterday, I, this, these are the content of my words, of my, my, my post, that they will wait, sit down for this gentleman to continue to extort money from us, then later on, they will, they will issue a series of presses. Then finally, they come and say, we want them. Meanwhile, we are supposed to take action. So I think we welcome this news and mm. we want to see more action. And we want them to fast track it. Mm. So that because for, it's like we have wasted three years. For a long time, the view was that, the view among many of your members yes. was that the government will never prosecute. Number one, mm. um, you, you, there was even a time when um, the Ioko boss was asking questions mm. about our existing laws, laws yeah. and the suitability yeah. of those laws for prosecuting Nam One. That didn't go down well with, 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 with some of you. With us. Does this restore your faith in uh, the intent of, of the state to protect members like yourself? At least uh, it is said that half a loaf is better than none. At least something, the, the, the AG has gone further to sort of, I haven't seen the details or the particulars of the charges. I, I'm just taking this from you. But at least he has given some indications, all right, that those charges that we were throwing about, were being thrown about now, is being crystallized. 
would, on the 19th of September, we shall be in the courts and witness how the whole thing will, will start. And so I think it's a good start, and we want to commend the AG. Even though it's late in coming, but at least it's sort of let us know that um, justice, even though we, haven't, we don't know the outcome of it, but it's a good start. That's what I'll say for now. And we are also cautious because at the end of the day, it's our money that we want. Yes, um, mm. these are criminal charges. And in Ghana here, without jurisprudence, the uh, uh, criminal prosecutions have two outcomes. You understand? It's either a head or a tail. So at the end of the day, our money is more, we are also looking at the money. And, mm. and the AG, even though we, are ha- we have some engagements, for the past one year, the coalition leadership have had several engagements with him in respect of this case and even how to retrieve our money. So even as he's going about this, would wish him, if I had met him one-on-one, I would also suggest that he should also suggest, since being the legal advisor to the president or the government, as to how customer could be settled. Because mm. it's, it's passed for 12th September will be fifth year that the incident happened. Let me ask you this. Um, you know that very often we've had conversations about this men's goal situation. Yes. And I always challenge your position. I yes. always challenge this idea of whether or not um, you and your colleagues, all of you, are victims in the true sense of the word, or whether you didn't seek an investment which went bad. Now, the, I'm bringing it up again, okay. because not so long ago, a couple of weeks ago, yeah. he asked for people to come and pay, people who he owes. Yes. To come and pay him to pay them. Mm-hmm. And some of your members did. So let me ask you this. Yeah. I mean, at this point, yeah. are you still expecting someone to protect you when you, you know, I'm talking to the members, yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah, about the members who have made. You, you know what? Yeah. Ask all the questions in the world you want. I will also provide the answers. Please, then go ahead. I mean, yeah. are you still let, expecting let you protection? Something. You see, what I've come to realize is that to be vulnerable, it is not tied to your education or your development. But it's due to the circumstances. Could you believe that there are PhD holders who have even fallen victim to the current calm, the 650 Ghana? So I come to that conclusion that, and you came to mind, I remember that they were sitting here when you raised, mm. I think, no, I think the morning show, that being vulnerable, it's not about whether you are developed or you have a high degree or you have education or you are financially sound. The victims or more or less the, the affected customers of men's goods. We have the people in, from the Bank of Ghana in there. At the same time, they were issuing warnings. So it's not, it's not, there is a drive. There's something that drives you to is go it, into it. Is it vulnerability or greed? It let, is not. Let me ask you this. Did you fall for the second one? Did you? I, why should I? I was, I was, but you know that. Let, let me tell Excellent. you. Excellent. We've been doing this. So, you know that ever since this unfortunate incident happened in 2018, my group and I have been advocates. Mm. Because if we have fallen victims, I don't want my friend, my senior Kojo to fall into it. Right. So quickly, when we see it, we caution people. So you remember you... last year, we did a story about the CD coin. Mm. It is our group, together with Bridget Otto and the rest of them, and you yourself and other people, that we were able to nip it in the bud at, at the embryonic stage. So we cautioned, but 
it appears there is sort of desperations in the system. His money is locked up. And you know what? Mm. I don't know whether you have time. Namwan has been able to buy or earn the confidence or the trust of the people. So even as for the past five years, we have done our part, some people still believe that, let me, and so they went, even though we advised them again, at least we now have evidence that this didn't happen. This morning, some of the exhibits, I sent it somewhere else. Maybe mm. off scene, I will share with you. So my, my question really is whether or not, because I agree that some people are yes. still falling for this. Yes. It's evidence. Yes. Right. You didn't fall for it. You are in the same system, which is tough, which is tight. Good. You have also lost money. Yeah. The desperation that people feel, you know exactly what it feels like. My question to you is this. If people are still falling for it under the same circumstances which you didn't fall, yeah. are these people vulnerable or gullible? I would say vulnerable, but why don't we remove that object that attract them to fall for it? Because it's the only one thing that's against millions or thousands of Ghanaians. That's why I was so annoyed, let me use the word yesterday, that our security agencies and our authorities will sit down and watch this thing for two good weeks. My goodness. Hmm. What are we doing to ourselves? Uh, what happened at the meeting with the uh, Yoko boss? Actually, uh, not only it was not a meeting, it, uh, the letter w- that was transmitted from the AG's office. In fact, like I said, we've been working with him for the past years. Hmm. Under the RT, I remember you even gave me him the last time we came. So I did several follow-ups and reminders. And the last reminder was 23rd July. Then the AG wrote to Yoko to release the information to us. So I did a follow-up last Thursday at the legal department. And today, when the invitation was that, they acknowledged, this is the letter, maybe you can have a look at it. They acknowledged receipt of the letter and still saying that they are in the process of compiling the data. Right. Yes, I wasn't happy with that. The, the word that the, the, the chief executive added, the last letter that, even though the case is still active. Okay. Yeah, the AG knows that the case is still active and he wants you I, I believe that this does not mean that this will cause the delay of the release of the information. I don't know, you, you, I don't know whether you know what I'm thinking about. Mm. If you add that the case is still active, does it mean that this prevents you from releasing the information? Because we need the information to enable us to progress with whatever civil reality that we are also pursuing with well, the well, other authorities. Um, you know, to, to, to be fair to both sides, could it simply be that because the case is active, the information is not held in one place, there might be various officers taking uh, custody of various parts of the information for which reason there is a need for collation of that information? No, because the, the AG was categorical. He, according to Section 2 of the, uh, 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 the Right Information Act, it says that when they are not seized, the AG is not seized, the institution that has it, and Yoko is under AG. So AG knows that you are seized with information. So it's not like they think that the information, some is in Quanta, some is in Apiuska, or some is here. They believe that the AG has the information. Uh, as the, the, um, the, the transmitter letter that mm. I, I think I even shared with the production mm. team of something. So, so we expect them to just give us how much, was, how much gold mm. was confiscated. How much was in the bank account? Yeah. How many vehicles were sold and how much were the total sales realized and stuff mm-hmm. like that? These are, there were about 14 points that we raised right. that we wanted responses. So to. they say they are compiling the information for you. Yeah. Um, but there isn't a timeline here. So uh, what's so, the next step? I'm going to go back to read the acts again. Uh, when you, because 
the other one, the chief director, made a state statement, and it took us almost a year. Mm. And this time, we don't want to, with your advice uh, the other day, we we'll look at the law and see what are the timelines when they say they are compiling the information, whether the acts give them timelines after issuing the statement, when should we expect the information to be released to us? Right. It's all in the act. You'll be able yeah. to uh, ascertain that. But I, I am interested now in the next steps. The Attorney General has uh, brought charge, yes. charges. Yes. Uh, there'll be a hearing on the 19th, uh, beyond which we will know how that case is going to proceed. Uh, but you guys but it want your money. this one is different from the current incident. Because it, it appears these charges are based on the crimes he committed before 2018. Yes, as you are two weeks ago, there are crimes. He's still, he's still well, extorting money for I, I, I haven't gone through the whole charge oh, okay, sheet, okay. Um, so I can't speak to that. What I can ask you, though, is uh, what do you do next? Because your intent is to get your money. Yeah. A criminal case may not necessarily result in that. So what move do you have on the chessboard now? For now, before... Parliament went on recess. We had a meeting, a second meeting with the Right Honourable Speaker, and he has um, assured us that when they come back from recess, they will say, he will set up a five-member, a, a motion will be moved. Then a five-member committee will be set up to look into the matter. And it is not to investigate a men's good or number one or to look into the criminal matter. They are interested in how the people, the affected customers, retrieve their money and from the discussion or the, what happened at the meeting, they will want to collaborate with the government. And I'm sure the president last year gave us indication and we presented a petition. So I believe that that collaboration can work together with the AG if he can also come in and assist with his advice, even though the criminal matter is going on, so the legal, the, the, the civil one can also go on. Because with the banking sector, I'm sure even some of the people were still in are still in court, yet customers have been bailed out largely. So we believe that it's not going to prejudice yeah. the current case. And this is what we are looking forward to. And I believe that um, whoever is listening, whether you're a minister, you may be called, or you may be part of the decision-making body, we plead with you, help us to retrieve uh, locked up in uh, In the last 30 seconds, I'd love your, your response to uh, Namwan's recent interaction with some members of the public on Twitter spaces. What, what, what's your take on, on that? Could you, you said last 30 seconds. We have learned through very hard ways that first of all, I have to apologize to your, uh, multimedia for the incident that happened. I remember the early days of this issue. I'm told that during the first demonstration, some of your units were, yeah. were, were, were manhandled. Yeah. And I have to apologize because we have learned through a very hard way that we are we had all along, we were dealing with a Yahoo operative, and we didn't know. Allegedly. Oh, it's, not, it's, it's a word, it's a common balance that we use. I have to say allegedly. If, if you tell me that you owe me, I should give you 650 Ghana for you to find out whether you are indebted to me. It's an insult. Number two, you the very person go there to create a payboy company. And you, 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 I, I am supposed to look for a debt collecting company. That's not the, 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 the normal procedure. Mm. Then you, the one who is indebted to me, now look for a debt collecting company. And then you tell me that 
go to the debt collecting company, and when you pay money to the debt collecting company, maybe some way, somehow, you break me to start paying you. I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> and as a country, we are sitting down watching this gentleman. Please, Brian, I'm one. I'm told that 14 September, you have set it as a deadline that those who are not able to verify, they forfeit their right to be customers. Make the deadline today because we aren't coming. And let's see if you are a man. Well, Fred, I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for making time to speak to us this afternoon. Uh, we'll keep an eye on these processes to see how they unfold. Now, illegal mining is our next topic. It's official. Uh, customers are now going to pay one Ghana CD on every water bill to enable the Ghana Water Company properly treat water at the various pumps. Now, the Public Utilities Regulatory Commission, which approved this request in last week's tariff adjustment, says the cost of treatment has become extremely expensive due to activities of illegal mining or galamsey. Ghana Water had warned that they may be forced to shut down uh, the treatment plants due to the impact Galamsey was having on uh, its operations. The Executive Secretary of the PURC, Dr. Ishmael Aka, says the cost imposed on customers is to help keep Ghana water running. For water, uh, I think the major drivers, one is the price of electricity. However, because we said the industrial customers will experience no increase, this time it didn't have any effect. The major driver for water is the cost of chemicals. So before recently they were using uh, a chemical for water treatment. Now what they've moved on to is what we call polymer, which is about 2.2 and a half times expensive, more expensive than the, what they were using previously because of galamsey and others. They have to treat the water, go through a process more three times than what they were using. So the cost of chemicals have really uh, gone up uh, for water and that is the major. So if your bill was 100, you are paying one CD extra to support them. All right, now let's talk to the general manager in charge of operations at Ghana Water, uh, Stanley Marty. Uh, Stanley, thank you very much for your, your time with us. Now, let, let me ask you this. You are, you are compelling me as a Ghanaian to pay for you to solve a problem I didn't cause. How is that fair? Um, if we have, if you can unmute your microphone uh, for us. Thank you very much, um, Kujo. Yeah. Um, I think that. Yeah, um, I'm not really can, can, can you hear me? Uh, we, we can just about hear you, so please go ahead. Now? Yeah, please go ahead. Hello, Kujo. Yes, yeah, Stanley, we can hear you. Uh, please muted. go ahead. Hello, Kujo. Yes, yeah, Stanley, we can hear you. You'll have to forgive us. I believe we're having some challenge. Uh, we need to clean up that line and bring Stanley Marty um, back to give us uh, some education on uh, consumers who are being asked to pay one Ghana city for, on every uh, water bill from now on uh, to fund the, the 
to fund the, the cleaning of water, um, which has been contaminated by Galam Sea. Now, uh, environmental conservation NGO Arocha Ghana is questioning why institutions like the World Bank will continue to fund the reclamation of lands devastated by illegal miners at the expense of the ordinary taxpayer. Data from Global Forest Watch indicates uh, trees sitting on 1.41 million hectares of land, equivalent to half the land size of the Asante region, were destroyed across Ghana between 2001 and 2021. Joint news checks indicate more destruction of forests in 2022 and 23, with Ghana uh, securing $103 million from the World Bank to reclaim these lands. Uh, there's more in the following excerpts from our upcoming hotline, Forest Under Siege. Think of Ghana's forest as a pair of lungs or kidneys cleaning our air and water, regulating rainfall, sunshine, and serving as a buffer against natural disasters. The country's kidneys and lungs are currently being attacked and perforated at a fast rate by illegal mining. Global Forest Watch data indicates that between 2001 and 2021, trees sitting on 1.41 million hectares of land were destroyed across Ghana. The destruction of tree cover is equivalent to about half the size of the entire Ashanti region, which is about 2.4 million hectares. This, this is the largest. In fact, I don't even know how to start and how to end. I'm even shocked seeing the ground like this. The largest, the largest so far. Forests degraded, water sources polluted, and the attendant change in climatic conditions have affected farming. It is the forest that gives farmers in this area rain to farm. But now, if God doesn't intervene, we will not have the rains to grow our crops. Many of these farmers have had a source of livelihood destroyed by the mining of this forest. But their taxes will pay for the $103 million contracted to reclaim the devastation. Environmental conservation organization Arocha Ghana has a problem with that. Sometimes I ask myself, why does even the World Bank even support such initiatives or push those initiatives before us? Daryl Bosu is deputy national director. Business persons have been given concessions. They've gone into our forest reserves, into our landscape mined it for gold, traded it, kept the profit for themselves. And the public is going to pay for a loan that is now going to be used to reclaim the mess of some businesses. It's not fair. And there's no way anyone, and even the World Bank, should support such an initiative. Reporting for Joy News, Erastus Asaredonko, Kumasi. All right, now let's get back to the earlier conversation, also Galamse related, if you will. Uh, Ghana Water Company is compelling Ghanaians to pay one Ghana CD on every water bill uh, to help with the cost of purifying water which has been contaminated by illegal mining. Stanley Mate joins us from the Ghana Water Company. 
Uh, Stanley, I believe we have a much better line now, so I'll ask that question again. You're compelling me as a Ghanaian to pay for you to fix a problem that I didn't solve. Uh, I didn't cause, sorry. How is that fair, Stanley? Okay, thank you very much, Kujo. I hope I'm clear now. Yes, we can hear you. Yes. Um, so let me correct um, this in your preamble. Um, you have said that the Ghana Water Company Limited is compelling um, you to pay more than you have to. Uh, let me correct that. It is not the GWC are compelling you. We are regulated, okay? We have a product that we produce, but we not determine the prices. That is determined by the public utilities regulatory commission. And per the law, we have to submit our reports to them. They look at the reports, they look at the economic situation, put their formula together, fix in everything that they have to, and then come up with a tariff. Um, Stanley, can I ask you to speak up a little bit more? We're, we're struggling, we're missing some of what you're saying. So, so then, you, you cannot keep um, the um, the time on the doctor water company it is that of the public utilities regulatory commission. I hope you hear now. You can hear my voice today now. Yes, yes, we can hear you. Oh, okay. So when when it comes to Galamse, I think the population of citizens involved in Galamse um, should be less than one percent of the total population of Ghana. I'm just assuming. But can that be true? I'm sure. How can a percent, let's assume that the only one percent of uh, people involved in Galamse, um, um in, in Ghana, how can one percent of the total population hold the entire uh, population of Ghana to, to ransom to this extent? Why can't the 99 percent of us who are paying for the, for the mess being caused by one percent, uh, why can't we all put our loins together and then stop them from what they are doing? Okay. So this is a call to all of us. Now we have had to pay. Because we are paying. I'm also paying. Okay? Everybody is paying. So let us put our lungs together and then fight them. Okay? When we are able to fight them and the rivers clear up, we will use uh, less chemical and the cost of production will be lower and definitely it will impact on the, uh, on the tide so that we all will have to pay less, less tire than we are paying now. Under the circumstances, if we all do not go, uh, we all come up together to fight the menace, then we'll all be, we'll, we'll all have to be paying. The Ghana Water Company is that Okay, you have to buy chemicals uh, with, with foreign exchange. Now look at um, uh, the way the foreign exchange um, uh, um, is dancing against the, 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 the city. Okay, so what else can we do? Now we have had to buy a more expensive chemical because the chemical that we're using previously uh, can no longer um, treat the water or can no longer coagulate the water and uh, the tilt in the water as we expect it to happen. So we have had to buy a more expensive chemical, which is about three times more, close to three times more, what uh, uh, um, uh, previously we were using. Now, how can a water, water company survive if we do not increase the cost of water? or the price for water. So the PLC, in their wisdom and for their calculation and for the law, have put together the tariff for us to pay. For us as a company, we do not have control over it. We can't set our own tariff. If we have to set our own tariff, I'm sure it will be more expensive than, than we are seeing now. So if we all do not want to pay more, 
then let us talk to our relatives, let us in our own way talk to the few uh, 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 recalcitrant citizens amongst us to stop what they are doing. Then we can have um, very clear uh, river bodies, very good raw water. Then we can, cost of production will be low for us to pay less. Now, Stanley, we, we have designated institutions where we pay people salaries to ensure that our water bodies are kept safe, to ensure that people don't break the law, people don't um, mine illegally. That, that they, they collect salaries every single month, which we pay. So Ghana Water Company asking Ghanaians to pay extra to purify the water that has been destroyed because some people didn't do their jobs. Is that not kind of like, you know, uh, some, a private security company asking us all to pay for them to patrol our communities because Ghana police cannot stop armed robbery? I mean, can we approach the solution? Can we approach solving every national problem uh, by taxing the innocent Ghanaian to pay for the, for, for the solution? When we already paid people to ensure the problem doesn't even happen in the first place? Yeah, you have, a, you have a point, okay? And like I said, I'm found in the same situation that you also find yourself in. And so is every citizen of Ghana. So who do we hold responsible? Then, now, let us set our law enforcement agencies down and then, and then uh, request for them to do what they have to do. But we all know that they have been doing... If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. So let us keep re-strategizing so that at least we can, we can be, we'll be able to stop the menace. So for us as a company and the other uh, agencies involved in protecting the water body, we keep re-strategizing to find a sustainable solution to it. But we realize that it is, it is beyond us. Okay, so we are doing ours in, a very, in, our, in our own small way. But then the greater portion of the, uh, of the, of the situation is beyond us. So let us all have a public forum, and then let's call uh, those who are supposed to do that. It should work. I to, clarify, to clarify, Stanley, uh, did... did um, forgive me, Stanley. To clarify, did, did the Ghana Water Company ask PURC to put, this position, to put this arrangement in place, or did PURC do this of their own initiative? So like I said initially, okay, it is the PURC who is the regulator. And so they put together the report that we sent to them per the law. Per the law, UWCL is to submit monthly reports to PULC. The PULC, based on our report, will compute the, uh, uh, the tariff. Okay? Based on other, based on other external, agency, uh, external factors as well. So they put our internal factors, which is our report, and then the external factors, okay, vis-a-vis the economy of Ghana, okay, into a formula, and then they come out with a tie. So we do not, we as a company, Ghana Water Company Limited, we do not have control over the tie. We do not set tie. That is why I corrected you initially that we are not asking Ghanaians to pay, but per the book, a 
everything is there for you to do. Audited book. Okay? This is the cost of production. This is uh, the rate of inflation. This is um, the, the cost of the TV to the dollar. Uh, this is the cost of chemicals. This is the cost of overhead. This is the cost of this. Everything goes to them. Okay? And then they put all these things into a formula to come out to the class. Okay. So how much will Ghana Water Company raise from, from this uh, initiative on a, on a monthly basis? How much do you expect to raise? Uh, I, I, I think the tariff has just been announced. Uh, we are sitting, we have a tariff committee working on it, and then we'll be able to tell um, the required revenue or the required outcome from, from the new tariff and how positive that will be, I will not be able to tell. Uh, for, for now, but the thing is, the period come of a formula. Uh, yes, so the, the formula will have to be discussed with uh, the PULC. We don't want to go there, okay? Uh, it is not my job. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is that for us as a company, PULC do not look at what we just tell them, but they look at our auditor report. So how much have we spent in reality, in real terms, on chemical, on chemicals? How much have we spent in real terms on this one? What is the cost of this in real terms? It is not like what we just report to them. You understand? So it is based on the real values. Okay? That is what they use in computing the tariff. Um, now that this uh, payment is in place, can we now all relax and uh, comfortably expect our water to be purified? At any time, any time we relax, we realize that the situation is compounded. So until we fight or find a sustainable solution to the menace, we do not have to rest on our own. And so, and that is exactly what the Ghana Water Company Limited and then the other agencies within the water sector are doing. I want to say a big thank you to you. Stanley Marte is, um, uh, is uh, in charge of operations at the Ghana Water Company. There's more to come on The Pulse. Don't go anywhere. We're back after these. So true. Wow, it has a working surface like this. Mm hmm. That's so true. I can see S I N T E S syntax. That is so true, my daughter. When it falls down, it will spoil. That's not true. But why? Why? <laughs> Syntex was the first to introduce double-layer tanks in Ghana. Syntex again was the first to introduce white inner layers in Ghana. 
Sintex gives you the biggest warranty, seven years. No matter your water needs, Sintex is the answer. Sintex Tank. Are you strong? Are you tough? Smile, hmm? Look lively, okay? Smile, smile. Is the money too small? A bad stomach ruins your day. Don't let it. Take Gastron, your most effective antacid, for the relief of symptoms of peptic ulcer, heartburn, gas pain, flatulence, and indigestion. Hey guys, what are you waiting for? Let's go, let's go. Mwah. Can you bring down the smiles more? <laughs> Gastro, effective relief from stomach discomfort. Manufactured and distributed by NS Chemist Limited. This advertisement has been written and approved by... So, um, J24 Foods started um, close to 10 years ago. Um, during national service, uh, I happened to run into some business idea. I was posted to Forestry Commission. We went for some inspection in one forest reserve. I met with the forest manager who introduced me to beekeeping. And myself, I've, I've been an entrepreneur growing up. So I picked up the idea because I knew that along the line, even if I get a job, I was still going to venture into the passion of doing business myself. Judith had no idea about beekeeping, but decided to give it a try. With a growing middle income earners in Ghana, even as, back, as far back as close to 10 years ago, I felt that it was something that could sell. This Wednesday, on TV, radio, online, and on ground, the Joy Business Van, powered by Joy Business and supported by Bank, the Pan-African Bank, and MTN, what are we doing today? Welcome back. Now, just this morning, news came in that a group of senior Gabonese military officers have announced today that they have seized power uh, shortly after the state election uh, body declared President Ali Bongo the winner of Saturday's general elections. Now, Gabon's President Ali Bongo has held power for 14 years after taking over from his father, Omar Bongo. Uh, now, uh, this happened in 2019. Now, appearing on state-run television, uh, the military officers declared the nullification of Saturday's election results uh, and the dissolution of state institutions, as well as the closure of all borders until further notice. Gabon becomes the second African country to experience a coup just this year, following Niger. 
Now, as these things unfold around us, uh, Niger and Gabon being the latest countries in Africa uh, to go by way of coup, following Mali and Burkina Faso, it starts to become apparent that the unrest across this country could become contagious. So as a nation that has prided itself in its peace and stability, what are the concerns that Ghana ought to be addressing to ensure we don't go the same way? Well, thankfully, we have an institution that concerns itself with nothing but peace. It's the Peace Council, and its chair joins us this afternoon. We're very honored to have you with us, sir. What Thank a pleasure. For having us. Now, the Peace Council needs no introduction. You've been doing your work for a very long time. But for those who might have been living under a rock, maybe you can ease us into it by explaining exactly what the mandate is of the Council. The Act that established the Peace Council, Act 818, the Act simply says that the mandate of the Council is to facilitate and develop mechanisms for conflict prevention, conflict management, and conflict resolution, and to build sustainable peace in the country. So basically, our mandate is to develop and facilitate mechanisms for peace in this country. Now, Reverend Dr. Edu Jemfi, uh, peace is something that Ghana has taken for granted. Yes, we have pockets of violence in some parts of our country, We've had historical uh, recurring violence in other parts as well. But generally, Ghana has credentials as a peaceful country. Does that sometimes make you and your, your colleagues feel a little bit redundant? No, I think uh, we are concerned about the peace of this country, especially looking at what's happening within the sub-region. It's a matter of concern to us to continue to maintain the peace that we enjoy in this country. Sometimes when one travels out of the country and you come back, you begin to realize that Ghana has something that is quite unique. There's a need for all of us to do the best we can to protect the peace that we have in this country. So the Peace Council is, is really uh, conscious of what, what's happening in our sub-region and we're doing the best we can to maintain the peace that we have in this country. So uh, Burkina Faso, Mali, Niger, now Gabon. In fact, before all of this business, we also had unrest, if not coup d'etats, in places like Sudan. Uh, we've had to deal with all this. Libya. How concerned should Ghana be about this sort of thing making its way into our borders? I think there's something happening around our sub-region that all of us ought to be concerned about. And we have been talking about these things too those in authority to critically look at them. And it's, it's got to do with youth unemployment. It's a major issue within the sub-region. I think that we have to do everything, not only for government, but for the opposition, for businesses, to look at what can we do as a country to deal with this issue. Because if we don't tackle it, we are likely to have major problems on our hands going forward. Are they listening to you? Well, I think they are. Mm. Uh, we've had several meetings and we've pointed out these things, that these are concerns that we see. 
And we think that it's a major issue that must be tackled. What exactly has been your advice? You know, what specific things have you been advising government, opposition, stakeholders to do to, to prevent such outcomes? Well, the first thing is that there ought to be employment avenues. And uh, we see now that we have free SHS, which turning out a lot of students coming out. We have to find the avenue to engage all of them, also to provide resource to ensure that once they get out of school, they will find something to do. And this is not only the concern of, of government. I believe that there's a need for some form of a national dialogue to discuss this issue. Because one government will go, another government will come. And if we don't deal with it, everybody will inherit the problem. And there's a need for some form of consensus for us to discuss this issue. What do we do? How do we engage businesses, uh, entrepreneurs, to look at the, the options that are available and find some solution to this problem? Um, now, I, I, earlier I mentioned recurring pockets of violence, which are to live with in some parts of our country for a very, very long time. Build over into violent attacks. And so forth. They still happen. Um, what would the Peace Council say has been your achievement in this area? How, do you feel that your presence has in some way helped this situation? I think we've done the best that we, we, we can. But it's important to put on record that currently the Peace Council has about 292 chieftaincy conflicts in this country. And on my way to the studio, I had a call from another location where something is coming up. And I asked them to file a complaint with our complaints department to see what we can do. Now, this has a reason, partly because in the past, nobody looked at land as it's being looked at now. For those of us in Accra, when I came to Accra initially around the mid-80s, uh, Anybody who lived around Ofanko in those areas considered out, out of Accra. Damfa yeah. uh, area, nobody looked at those places. But right now, people are living uh, way out of Accra and coming back into the city. So the need for land has become an issue. Now, chiefs who didn't seem to have given serious attention to their land boundaries in the past are now critically looking at them. Some are trying to also encroach on others. So that has raised a lot of concern for us. And we're doing the best we can to tackle a lot of these things. But the Peace Council cannot do it alone. We need the Minister of Chieftaincy and Religious Affairs to be involved in this matter. And also uh, the judiciary should also be, uh, come to our aid in, in resolving this. So we need uh, a collective effort to deal with this matter. Because if we leave it only in the hands of the Peace Council, we will go in to mediate. At the end of the day, the laws must be established, boundaries must be set, people must be made to understand that you can't go beyond these things. Those are the concerns and the challenges we are doing. Are these institutions responding to your calls, you know, chieftaincy, uh, the um, uh, judiciary and so forth? Are they, are they engaging? Yes, we're engaging all of them. Uh, we've had meetings with them and we're hoping that we'll still engage them further to ensure that we deal with some of these issues. Is it expensive? to run the Peace Council? It's quite expensive, uh, but we don't have all that it takes. Uh, currently, we are being supported from the Consolidated Fund, but 
like any other governmental institution, we know the challenges that we have. The Act uh, establishes that we should have a peace fund. So two years ago, we launched the peace fund. Unfortunately, we didn't get the support that we actually needed. Uh, most of our running expenses in terms of salaries of our staff, uh, capital expenses, and uh, goods and services are provided by the government. Right. In terms of operational, most of our funding have come from external sources, especially from the UNDP, Canada, and the Canadian Embassy, USAID, and all of those. Are, these are all the institutions that are supporting us to do a lot of the work that we do. But we think that if we were able to get the peace fund to function the way it ought to function, because our work is so fluid. You sit up today and somebody shoots somebody somewhere. Immediately, everybody is screaming, where is the peace council? And people don't realize that the members of the council are not full-time staff. All of them are scattered across the country. Everybody's doing something else. And it's an emergency. You have to call everybody back to Accra. Mm. You have to pay for transport. You have to get their hotels and all of those things. So the council needs money readily on hand to do a lot of the things that we ought to do. So when something happens and people start screaming, where's the peace council, where's the peace council, they are not thinking about the fact that all the individuals are doing their, even the chairman is on a full-time staff. Mm. So we still, we have the executive secretary and some other staff who are working with us, but in all, we have about 67 members on staff across the country, in all the 16 regions. That makes it not enough. So we need a lot of resources to get our work done. And uh, we appeal to the public, to the business community, there's uh, any challenge businesses will have to shut down, and I think that the business community must come to the aid of the Peace Council and ensure that we have resources. Do you have um, any sort of sustainable plan to propose in, in terms of how, how the Peace Council is funded, uh, besides relying on the kindness of, of strangers, so to speak? Is, is there some business model or some, some means by which um, the Peace Council considers that uh, you could be funded on a more uh, reliable and consistent basis? For now, what the Act gives us the mandate to do is to establish the fund. So that's what we're looking at. But we do write a lot of proposals. That's why we're able to get funding from some of these, uh, these partners. You know. uh, but sometimes we get worried about that because when you have external... Uh, partners supporting you, they will demand reports. So after the whole program is run, you have to write a report to them. So invariably, uh, you are sharing your national information with other people elsewhere. That is one of the things that makes it important for us as a nation to do the best we can to fund the Peace Council to the full, to ensure that we have resources to do all the things that ought to be done. I suspect if you were to list your challenges, funding would be right up there. Um, probably in the top three. Um, what would the other two be? Well, uh, not related to funding. Uh, fortunately, there is a proposal now. Uh, when the uh, Wesley Girls issue came up, we went to oh, Parliament, yes. we met with the leadership of Parliament. That was when they began to look at the concerns of the Council because everybody had assumed all along that the Peace Council was established, they were well off and all of that, until we got there. And that day, they started with all kinds of accusations and we drew the attention to the fact that 
all council members who came there were driving our own cars, we fueled it ourselves and running affairs. And they were shocked. So they took up the issue to parliament and asked that the Peace Council be put under the Common Fund. Right. But Common Fund has not also been able to support us we had expected. So we have all these challenges. But we're hoping that going forward, probably as things ease up, these resources will come in to help us. But with that intervention, uh, they, there's now the, the proposal to build a new facility for us. Uh, because where we are squatting now, we have been even injected. We have not made noise because it would be too embarrassing for the country to hear that this council is being ejected from where they are. You know. So we need uh, facilities to accommodate our staff. We need vehicles uh, to run around and get our work done uh, in addition to the need for funding. Now, uh, n- nobody can miss the heavy representation of uh, religious bodies on the peace. Try to have representation of all the major uh, groupings. But there's a saying that uh, you can't solve a problem with the same sort of mindset that caused it. And it is generally believed that most of the worst conflicts in the world formed along religious lines. So is that something that you are conscious of? That uh, even your constitu- the constitution of your body uh, is a potential source of conflict? Well, I think the framers of the act did very well in putting that group together. We think that that is our advantage instead of a disadvantage. It's been a major advantage. We've had 13 African countries who've been here to study the work of the Peace Council. And all of them are surprised that we can put Muslims and Christians together in one room. And if you come to our board meetings, we sit there like brothers and sisters. It's, it's beautiful to see that, that relationship, that within the, the, act, the composition of the act, we can bring Christians, Muslims, traditional uh, religious practices, chiefs, queen mothers, CSOs, and, and all of these things together. I think it's been very helpful. And we've had a lot of instances where certain cases have arisen, where in the course of our meeting, for instance, there's something happening somewhere involving an Islamic group, we tell our members, they put in one phone call, and the next minute it stopped. Mm. You know, uh, we had a case, one case in Congo like that. You know, and those things have been very helpful. So I think that, and people respect the council also because of its composition. We have these high religious leaders who are the chiefs and others who are there. And that gives us a certain image, you know. So I think that the framers did well in, in putting that together, which is quite unique. Because in other countries, uh, They've tried setting up peace councils, but most of the appointees are from the government. And once you do that, people don't trust, trust the system. You know. So in our situation, it's that the government has no control over who goes to the peace council because the religious institutions nominate their own people. They are vetted, and once it, if the vetting goes through, they are there. And the government has only two appointees who come in. And the choice of who leads the council is done by the members themselves, supervised the electoral commission. So we choose our own chair, and then we present to the president that is the chair. You can't do anything about it. <laughs> we hope that uh, it works out very well. Uh, let me ask you this, uh, Reverend Dr. Edujin P. You, as a council, you concern yourselves with various 
types of conflict. We saw you intervening when um, uh, Archbishop Janasari uh, ran into some, some sort of confrontation with the people of um, Nogopo. So what, what's the upper, what are the upper and lower limits of the types of conflict you will get involved in? I mean, if somebody and his wives are having a conflict in their home, can we expect the Peace Council to want to rule in that? I mean, yeah, what, what are, what are the, 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 the upper and lower limits of the types of conflicts you, you would, uh, want to be involved in resolving? Thank you for the, that question. At the moment, the Act does not place an upper and lower limit. Uh, but we are working on the possibility of having an ally right. to back the Act that will, as it were, explain what we can do. Currently, we are being called to do a lot of things that we know is not within our mandate. And sometimes the public does not seem to understand that, that this is happening. We are calling the Peace Council. They are not there. Why are they not responding? Why are they not speaking to this issue? But there are areas where we recognize our boundaries, and we don't want to move into that space to create a problem. Right now, People are legally exposed in this country. And if you don't take care, you could draw yourself into a problem. And so the council is cautious about that. And so we want to stay away from those areas where we don't have the mandate to operate. But we think that with the establishment of the LI, it will be helpful to, as it were, probably broaden some of the expectations. Because the public expects so much from us. Uh, things that are not even, within, like you said, Somebody in the Wi-Fi fighting. Somebody <laughs> where's the peace council? I recall mm. the when the current uh, parliament began and we had all those confrontations. Somebody yes. called me at 4 a.m. and asked chairman, "Where are you?" I said, "I'm sleeping." And I said, "Why are you sleeping? You should have been in parliament right now." I said, "What's happening?" I turned on my television and saw what was going on. I said, "What locus do I have?" These are parliamentarians. They, are, they have their own uh, enclave. I can't go in there, but. That is the kind of expectation that the public has. So it's a major challenge for us, but uh, we do the best we can within that school. Now, I can't shake the mental image of you tackling Carlos Ahinkra and <laughs> you know, asking him to give peace a it's chance. Dr. Jinfi, Reverend Dr. Jinfi, the public have high expectations of the Peace Council, but I have no doubt that leaders like yourself also have high expectations of your own uh, organization. So what's the dream? What's the vision? What's that thing that you're hoping the Peace Council can achieve, you know, 10 years from now? Well, our hope is that we will sustain the peace of this country. If you look at what's going on around our sub-region, especially our close neighbors, and the fact that we can stay in this country and live peacefully, this is something that we, we believe we should be able to sustain. So we're doing all the things that we can to do this. There are some issues that we have tackled that sometimes we don't even bring to the public domain. For instance, last year, we did very extensive work in the Volta region. When we heard the concerns of the people in the Volta region, the fact that they feel marginalized they, and all kinds of things. So we went to 16 communities, stayed there with them, engaged the people from chiefs to the lowest person, uh, to talk to them, to hear from them. We compiled all the reports, we brought it back, and then we shared it with the Minister of National Security. We went back to the Volta regime to, for them to validate what we've done. 
And I think that some of these things help to mitigate some of the concerns that people have. We've done work with queen mothers, uh, helping them to understand the role they ought to play in terms of the peace of this country. This year we have training for GPRT, helping them to be mindful of these extreme uh, threats that are likely to happen. They move people around, how they ought to be mindful of who is boarding a vehicle and all of that. We've had training for fishermen and fisherwomen, one in Adan, one in Elmina, to help them to understand, much as we are all concerned about the northern part of our borders, nobody is thinking seriously about the southern part, and especially the sea. So we have to share some thoughts with them to be mindful of what they see on the, on the high seas and the need to report and all of those things. Because currently, uh, I think the last one year, we've had calm, some form of calmness in the country in terms of piracy. Those things were coming up, and there was a need to do all of these things. We've had training for student leaders in the tertiary institutions, helping them to understand what it means to also maintain peace and be mindful of extremists who may come into their midst. Currently, we are working with secondary schools, helping them also to understand some of the students finish their exams, they burn school cars, they break uh, levers and all of those. There's a need for us to do. So those are the proactive things that we do to ensure that we maintain the peace and the stability of, of this country. Let's uh, look to 2024, big election coming up. Uh, you know, the two major parties in this country have a lot to lose, you know, and are certainly going to do whatever they can to win. Excesses are almost expected at this point. How is the Peace Council positioning itself to be a force for good to uh, hopefully prevent, uh, or if the unfortunate happens, contain uh, any such incidents? One of the things we did after the last election was to uh, pull together all the major players in our election space. We took them to Adan for four days and had time to review the, past, the last election, all the lessons we've learned. Um, at the end of the day, there was uh, a roadmap drawn. Some activities were lined up to be engaged in before the next election. Mm. So the Peace Council rolled out a lot of activities based on, on that. And we're still doing the best we can. We've had several engagements. We first met with the, the, the non-chief justice to look at the adjudication of uh, parliamentary elections. We've done well with uh, presidential 40 days or 42 days. It must be adjudicated. Parliamentary, nothing has been done. So we made a submission that they ought to look at that and shorten the time. Uh, we've had engagements with the Electoral Commission. We are still with them, uh, still talking. Uh, trying to see what we can do going forward into 2024. We've had engagements with the parties. This year we've seen a quarterly meeting with the political parties. So they come to our office, we talk, trying to find out what the issues are, what we can do. We've had um, engagement between the political parties, party, civil society, and the security services. We had one in Kofuridia. For two days we were all there to look at what civilians think about the security services and how they manage themselves. We had another one last month with the political parties and the Ghana police to look at how they perceive the police and what they consider police brutalities, mm. how the police perceive them, what do we do to ensure that uh, going into the next election will be fine. But one of the things that we did mention during that meeting was that the Kumeru and Asin North gave us the opportunity to test 
whether the things we've done are going to be successful. Mm. And having that kind of peace during that election, even though there were few skirmishes, I think it was not as bad as it used to be. So that gave us hope that it looks like some of the things we're doing might work. But those were contained within a small area. The issue is, are we going to be able to deploy it across the country? So that's what we're working on now, to consistently pursue all of these steps and ensure that in the general elections, we, we should be fine. So, um, if there was one message you wanted our audience to take away from our conversation today, what would that be? I would tell Ghanaians that we have something special in this country. I want to encourage each and every one of us, let us do the best we can to maintain the peace of our country. This is the only country we have. We can't go anywhere else. So we have to do the best we can to maintain the peace. Let's be accommodating. Uh, if you need clarity, seek for clarity instead of going out to attack people. Let us talk and resolve our issues instead of fighting. Rev, I'm so glad you made the time to be with us this afternoon. We appreciate you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Reverend Dr. Idu Jimfi is the chair of the Peace Council. Let's do a bit of politics now. Uh, the Asante Regional Chairman, or Bernard Ingebuesiakou of the NPP, says he finds it perplexing that Alan Chamanting and his team are claiming victims of abuse during the superdelegates election. According to him, supporters of Alan Chemanting equally heckled Majority Leader Oseche Mezabuzu uh, during the elections in the Asante region. Now, he is, however, convinced that votes obtained by Dr. Mahmoud Baumia are convincing for him to lead the party. Let's, let's hear him. I was there personally, you know, I was there personally when the majority leader was coming and then Alan people was rooted at him. And you, you they were rooted at him in the Ashanti region? Yes, they were attacking him. Why? They were attacking him. So the, if the same people want to, uh, you know, they could mostly want to turn themselves to complain, I find it very perplexed. You know, you know, that's the same people who can put somebody can also change yourself to into the person. We have had a good success, uh, beautiful elections, and it's a very peaceful. This is what I think we should talk about. Now, Majority Leader Oseche Minsabuzu, while confirming the incident, um, report, uh, of reported heckling by the Alan Chamanting team said it was triggered by a misrepresentation of his comments about the elections. I, somebody, I, I just related to that. When I go to the grounds, somebody raised the issue. This is Chairman Zabuz, one neighbor, no say, 70% of contestants, 70% of me and probably I heard that comment. But do you know the person who said that? I didn't look because it was... Of no so what, what was the nature of the heckling? What was the nature of the heckling? Did that worry you? It didn't worry me because I thought it was sheer pedestrianism. And people were contriving to bring violence. So you ignore them. Because there was no truth in that. Meanwhile, MP for Yendi, Farouk Bahama, is debunking claims that they skewed the elections to favor their preferred candidate in the northern regions. Two elections. It's about everybody's matured person at his level and is able to determine who or she he likes. 
all the MPs are people of respected um, in society. You know, we are led by the people, and there's nothing screaming about this. It is a decision we have taken, and Baumia is the candidate, is the spirit of the party, and that is how we voted for. What do you make of the violent incident that happened? It's very, very unfortunate, but from my investigation, I think it was over-exaggerated by the um, um, colleague. Um, who was an agent. And I think I'm very happy that we have, that the party has taken into it to call all uh, candidates to be crossing over. Obviously, our senior brother Alex Shamati was not really happy. But of course, we are, we are one party, and in, in elections, these things happen. And we are looking forward to a very peaceful one in November. And it's just a repetition of what we've done. And Baumia is going to obviously be the candidate that will be our next candidate. And inshallah, on, 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 on victory to unseat John Mama all right let's let's look at the other side for a moment the national democratic congress ndc says journalists in the country must step up with boldness and confidence in performing their duties as stipulated in the constitution addressing the media uh, when the leadership of the party paid a courtesy call on the president and leadership of the Ghana Journalist Association. General Secretary of the party, Fifi Kwete, said political interference uh, with the work of institutions such as the Electoral Commission, the Ghana Police Service, and institutions that are meant to be independent can be blamed for the country's current economic challenges. The media as an institution is, uh, is doing its job as well as it can. Uh, we, however, feel that uh, there are concerns that need to be addressed. And, and those concerns have to do with uh, sad instances where there seems to be a desire to uh, return to a culture where institutions increasingly become almost like appendages of a political party of especially a ruling party. Uh, we think we should think we need to uh, uh, work uh, towards uh, ensuring that we do not have that happening anymore. Uh, as a political party and you see we want to say that uh, when institutions are strong the country gets stronger. Uh, it is the truth that Parties often want institutions to want to be under their thumb for their own purposes. But we must resist uh, that edge. Uh, for example, the, the economic situation we have in our country today, that simply shows that if institutions were playing their role well, we should not be having some of these difficulties. Uh, for instance, I'm sure you've heard the recent issues relating to, for example, the central bank. The central bank is supposed to be a very independent institution. Uh, but the fact that at a certain point, the central bank started literally becoming an appendage of the, of the ruling government is what, for example, leads to a situation where uh, we have the difficulty that we've had, where the central bank easily just decided to play ball with the government. In the process, so many difficulties happen. We have a, a current challenge, for instance, that... Uh, uh, we have, for example, with the fact that the Electoral Commission, another very important institution that's supposed to just play its role as an independent institution, a constitutional body uh, that has been granted what you call independence to ensure that a good job gets done, virtually by its conduct, behaves as though it is an appendage of a ruling party in order to simply do what the ruling party wants. So, for example, we're talking about a situation where we need to allow as many Ghanaians to uh, uh, register for an election. 
which is their constitutional uh, uh, responsibility. They have an electoral commission that simply decides for its own purpose that we are going to restrict this whole thing to a district level in a nation that is made up of many rural communities, in a nation where there, you, sometimes you have to travel for hours, for hours, simply to reach a district capital, in a situation where you have an economic crisis, where transport fares have gone up, cost of living has gone up, people are struggling, but that institution decides that it's going to dig in, and regardless of whatever anybody does, that is how I want it done, because that seems to suit what the government of the day wants, which is nothing short of suppression of the fruit of the people. You know, this is a conversation that we believe you as a media will be able to uh, uh, push, not for the sake of any political party, but to ensure that this country, institutions work well, we hold duty better to account in order to ensure that the right thing gets done. Uh, the same way we see for the media to assert its independence and autonomy and do its job. The same way we expect to be done for every institution. The police as an institution needs to have its strength and do what it's got to do regardless of whether a, a, an opposition party is happy or a government, a ruling party is happy. Just do its job. The same way we expect for the legislature. The same way we expect for the electoral commission. The same respect for every other institution in the country. And that is the call we want to make as a party, that we want to encourage uh, uh, all of us, starting with the media, to be in the forefront of helping to ensure that all institutions play their role well. Now, we believe that if all these institutions do their role properly, um, the country not only becomes better for it, but we set up a system where there's not this kind of lethal struggle simply because you want to have a leadership and destroy the country. We have a situation where the, the what you call the alternation in power becomes very smooth. Why? Because everybody that appreciates that the job at all moments is to do the best you can and let the people decide who should be in charge. As opposed to almost like this very primitive obsession we have that as soon as you have access to power, you must uh, corrupt institutions. You must turn them into appendages. You must destroy the businesses that support your opponents. You must create conditions that make it impossible for any other person to have a possibility of power. Yet at the same time, when you hear about a coup in another country, you jump into talking about sending military people. Meanwhile, you are virtually creating situations that could lead to the same difficulties in your own country. And so these are things that we together, uh, as a political party, very conscious about the need for the survival of our democracy. Now, the president of the Ghana Journalists Association, Albert Kwabunajumfo, on his part, lamented the increasing number of assaults on journalists by politicians and political actors. He further warned the GJA would condemn the attack on any journalist, no matter who is involved. He says instead of attacking journalists for any alleged unprofessional conduct by any journalist, such persons should report the journalist in question to the GJA for the necessary redress. We are much concerned about uh, attacks on journalists. Very, very key. Something I was expecting you to touch on. 
as a, as a leader of the largest opposition party in the country. Uh, attacks on journalists by politicians and assigns of government uh, has been very rampant. And we, we hope to uh, collaborate with you, let you know that the media, we are partners in national development. We are collaborators. So therefore, uh, we need to see ourselves as uh, partners or as stakeholders and not as enemies. So we will call on you and we will do the same with all other political parties. That look, uh, stopping and harassing and preventing media from discharging their work is not the way to go. We would rather urge that you report reckless journalists to us. The media, who, the journalists who discharge their work unconstitutional, unprofessional. Yes, you report such because there is under Article 4140 of our Constitution uh, gives us that of the digital Constitution gives us uh, the the powers to establish what we call the Ethics and Disciplinary Council. This council is there to check on professionalism and to also approve the bad ones among us. So when you when such uh, situations come to attention, just report to us. Let us know. But. We advise that to extend to our members all the cooperation, the cooperation you can afford. This will mean access to your leadership for interviews. Uh, this will mean protection of journalists during your programs and campaigns. Because for us, as the current leadership, the welfare of journalists is our priority. And we will not compromise on anything which that amount to an affront to press freedom. Anything that uh, turns out to attack on journalists, we, the current administration, will rise against it no matter uh, who is involved. Now, the internet is a vast and ever expanding frontier that offers immense opportunities for learning, creativity, and connection. However, it also harbors dangers and pitfalls that are particularly treacherous for children. A retired Supreme Court judge, Justice Eski uh, Dateba, is making a strong case for policymakers in the data protection space to deepen collaboration in safeguarding the online safety of children across the country. So how do we protect children online as the Internet has become an inevitable space for the acquisition of knowledge and skills? Well, we'll speak with uh, Child Online Africa, an NGO that advocates the protection of children, shortly. But first, let's bring you this report filed by Karen Obing. The study demonstrates the importance of ensuring digital privacy of children in Ghana. As children are increasingly exploring the digital space, stakeholders in the space believe that a lot needs to be done to protect them. Speaking at the launch of the Youth People Privacy and Trust here in Accra, a retired Supreme Court judge, Professor S.K. Date Ba, called on stakeholders within the digital space to adopt a collaborative approach to ensure the protection of children. The internet does not forgive and does not forget. So if you get your data on the internet, that is it. It is there. And we don't want our young people to put inappropriate uh, data about themselves onto the internet. Also, at the other end of it, inappropriate content should not be uh, dis distributed to our young people. On 
her part, the executive director of Africa Digital Rising Hub, Teki Akwete, also assured of constant research to safeguard children's privacy. We undertook this exercise through a series of workshops that we had with young children uh, from different economic backgrounds um, in Accra, and then also worked with the school to undertake an online survey where we surveyed, we asked children, over 100 children, questions around what they think about their privacy online. And so this report essentially captures uh, what the young children said about their privacy. It also captures some recommendations that they made around how their privacy should be protected. Policymakers and decision makers have also been urged to find solutions to the concerns of young people about their online privacy in schools. An assurance of this, according to them, will generate more trust among young people. This is a very important issue that young people face, especially since we are exposed to um, technology at a very young age. Um, it, has let, it has let me know that we are, as children, we are ahead. And because we've grown up, we grew up um, knowing that we must. No, we are not supposed to be the ones to talk about matters that concern us, but this program has helped me um, know that we do matter and issues such as this, relevant issues such as this, cyberbullying and others, and um, um, illegal use of our data should be addressed. Karen Obain's report read to you. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about this. We're joined via Zoom by the Executive Director for Child Online Africa, Awu Aidam Amenya. Awu, it's a pleasure uh, to interact with you on this all-important subject. Now, I've got to say, children in Ghana are increasingly tech-savvy, exponentially more tech-savvy than their parents. Yet the expectation here is that parents, as they protect their children in real life, should also be able to protect them in the cyberspace. Is this not asking too much of a, of, a, of a generation that really doesn't know as much as it should about computers and the internet? Uh, yes. Thank you for the opportunity. And um, you're right to say that uh, parents cannot come compete with children when it comes to their protection or how they live online. But then if uh, parents would just uh, internalize things and say that, okay, much as I am protecting you offline, I could do my bit by being there for you, being a shoulder for you to lean on when you, uh, you encounter an issue online, that would do us a lot of good because communication has proven to be the best uh, strategy in carrying some of the online infractions and dealing with them. Now, the pitfalls are real. For those parents who are watching right now, much as we don't want to give them a heart attack, I'm sure you can give us some anecdotes of some of the real dangers that our children are facing in their use of the Internet today. Um, young people are confronted with issues of uh, sextortion. A number of young people have had themselves reported, either by themselves or by their friends 
or by people they are interacting with unknowingly. Because, you know, adolescents come with all manner of things. And since COVID has pushed all of us into the space, mm. some of the young people have connected and they have uh, friends who are luring them into things. And, of course, they are having this boyfriend-girlfriend things going on. So in one way or the other, they find, find themselves recorded uh, in their interactions via Zoom and uh, Teams and what have you. Unfortunately, um, these young people do not know what to do when the time comes, either because mommy might have overreacted when they first came across something they consider them not to have anything to do with, mm. or daddy might have done something or said something or a device has been taken from them, and they ended up uh, getting the device from somebody whom they are not supposed to get it from. So there are so many things that contribute to uh, young people's action and reactions online. But then, from where I sit, I've always said that if we could put things in perspective, for these young people, they will end up living and exhibiting the best characters we want to see online. What am I talking about? A young person may listen to music right now, and this young person might be listening to just the rhythms and the beats of the music. Mommy will listen to the same music and listen to the lyrics. When you put the two together, there are two different things. So when mommy is complaining about the young child listening to something inappropriate, the mm. child says, oh, mommy, there's nothing wrong with this. Mm. The beat is good. The rhythm is good. So clearly, we need to situate things for young people in perspective, for them to understand that, okay, when you are in the space, these are the red flags. But that said, these are the guardrails that you can fall on when the need arises. Mm. So citizenship can help the young person become responsible citizens that we wish to see online. Compassion can help the young person become who we want to see them to be online. Most of us are young people at home. When we ask them, if I walk to your home, for instance, Kojo, when I walk to your young, uh, your young child and I say, how old are you? He might disclose his actual age to me. But when he comes online and he says that, okay, before you assess this content, you ought to be 16 and above. And he knows very well that he's not 16. But he's anxious to getting access to that information. Chances are that he or she will tell a lie mm. and create an account just to assess them. How well are we as parents in our dialogue with young people, making them understand that, okay, it's okay to desire something, but once you are not ready for it, don't force yourself into it because these are the pitfalls that you might be faced with. So do ABC. Those are the basic things. It doesn't take um, a PhD for a parent to hold such kind of conversation. But most of us parents are not committed enough when it comes to these conversations. So we throw our arms in the air and say, okay, there's nothing we can do about it. There is a lot we can do about it yeah. to help and support our young people in living responsibly as far as the digital space is concerned. Yeah, uh, there are parents who don't want to feel helpless. For them, what would you recommend? Where do they go for the tools and resources to educate themselves on how to keep their children safer? All right. So for, for parents who are willing to help their children out, um, 
There are a number of platforms, including our platform, uh, childonlineafrica.org. You can search for us on Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn. You will find a lot of uh, helpful tips to help you uh, kind of create a family-level strategy that will help you in managing the space online, uh, your, your child's interaction online. And by extension, you are protecting yourself because clearly if your child lets out your phone number online. It's just like your child putting your phone number on a billboard. You don't want that to happen. So you want to kind of curb it before it gets out of hand. So clearly, let's be inquisitive. Let's even talk with our service providers. If you are picking a network for your child, ask them how they can help you safeguard some of the things you put out there. And it would go a long way to helping all of us safeguard the space from the negative occurrences. Awo Amenga of um, Child Online Africa, I'm very grateful to you for your time with us this afternoon and, of course, for the education you've shared. Well, I think that's a perfect place for us to put a bow on today's edition of The Pulse. We're back with more tomorrow. Until then, you know you have to stay with Joy News. And, of course, if you want all the latest stories, go to myjoyonline.com. All of the headlines on the topics that matter to you are right there waiting. Uh, of course, uh, once we're done here, after this break, LTS takes over. Stay for that and more. My name is Kojo Youngson. 